Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. I want you to take your Bibles today and go to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, and if you would please just just mark that chapter in your Bible. We'll get to it here in just a few minutes. We've, we've been in this series on the power in the blood, and I have enjoyed preaching this series. But all good things must come to an end. Not that we're going to stop just preaching and teaching about the blood of Jesus, but today will be the last message that I share in this series because I'm, I'm feeling led by the Holy Spirit to kind of shift gears here a little bit. And what I'm feeling led to do beginning next Sunday is to remind us who we are as the people of God. We we, we need to make sure that during this pandemic that we're not losing our vision and that we're not losing our focus and that we're not forgetting who we are as the people of God. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about as the people of God, we're a people of passion. Now, We don't know what's going to happen with college football season, but let's face it, people are passionate about Alabama and Auburn football in this state. Maybe you're passionate about UAB or South Alabama or somebody else, but people of God are passionate people. And we're going to talk about that next week and then in weeks to come that we're a people of power. We need to remind ourselves the kind of power that is available to us as as people of God and that we're people of prayer, a lot of P's in there that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. But today I'm going to wrap up this series on the power in the blood of Jesus. And today I want to address a specific area that we've kind of touched on in a couple of other sermons in this series, but I've not taken a a sermon to just really talk about how that there is freedom available to us through the power of the blood of Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you on this thought, and that thought is that because of the blood of Jesus, we can be free indeed. Come on, say that with me. I was hoping you would just kind of fall in there with me, but you left me hanging. (laughs) Because of the blood of Jesus, we can be free indeed. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. Let me tell you something. I'm not ashamed of the message of the cross. I'm not ashamed of the message of the blood of Jesus. There's a lot of people today that are removing crosses from their buildings, both externally and internally, because they say it's offensive to unbelievers. Well, of course it is. It is offensive to those who are perishing. Listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, when you start talking about the message of the cross, when you start sharing the gospel with people who are perishing, with people who are unbelievers, with people who have a hard time wrapping their mind around the fact that The Messiah, that when he came, instead of coming and being victorious, which he was victorious, but that he ended up being crucified, that he died on a cross, that's not what they were expecting, and and that's still today not what the world 
expects from a Messiah, from a Savior. And, and so when you start talking about the message of the cross, when you start talking about the blood of Jesus, and that's another message that a lot of churches avoid anymore. It's messy, you know, you know, you start talking about the blood of Jesus, you start talking about the blood of the lamb and you just kind of freak people out. No, you don't. Not if, not if you teach what the word of God has to say about the power that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. But he said that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, everybody say, that's me. But, but to us who are being saved. I love that, that little phrase there, being saved, because it reminds me I'm not completely saved yet. I'm not perfect yet. I'm, I'm not completely complete. And I won't be, you won't be until Jesus comes back. And then when we see him, we shall be like he is. We will be perfected in our salvation. Our salvation will be complete. But right now, we're all still in process. We're being saved. But to those of us who are being saved, we totally rely on the power of the cross. We totally rely on the power of the blood of Jesus, on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. And the reason why it is the power of God is because the message of the cross is the gospel. The message of the cross is good news. The message of the cross and the message of the blood is, it, 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 it just... It, it encapsulates everything that is available to you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. Salvation, healing, deliverance. All of that comes through the message of the cross, the power of the cross, the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 10. I love this passage. John is seeing this long before it would happen. It's a vision that he has of the end times. And it's in the book of Revelation, and he says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. We look forward to that day when Christ will come and establish his kingdom here on this earth. And then he says, For the accuser. Everybody say the accuser. It's, it's, it's another word for the devil because the word devil means accuser or slanderer. And he said, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Now, let me tell you something about Satan. Even though he has already been cast out of heaven because of his pride and his rebellion, he still has access to heaven. Now, you find that to be true when you go to Job chapter 1. And in Job chapter 1, it says that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. So, here we see a picture of Satan being able, having access into heaven to the throne of God. But let me tell you something, there's coming a day, and that's what John's writing about here, when Satan will be banished from and have no access to heaven any longer. But, but in Job chapter 1, you find him coming before God and doing what he does best. He accuses, he falsely accuses Job. Because God says this, God, God says, Satan, where have you been? He said, well, I've been roaming to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. Of course, we know, seeking somebody to devour. And listen to what God says. God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Now, if I'm Job, I got a problem with that. 
It's like God was saying, hey, I got somebody over here for you to pick on. But, but, but he said, have you considered my servant Job, one who fears God and shuns evil? And Satan begins to falsely accuse him and say, well, no wonder, God, no wonder he serves you. I mean, look at how much you've blessed him. And you've put a hedge around him so that nobody can touch him, his family, or his stuff. But the devil says, I guarantee you one thing, God, if you'll take that hedge down, if you'll remove those blessings, I guarantee you Job will curse you to your face because that's the only reason why he's serving you to begin with. And let's face it, that's the only reason some people serve God is because of what they get out of it, the blessings. And if they ever lose the blessing, then they lose their relationship with God. And so God gives Satan permission to take everything that Job has except his own health and his own body. And after, after losing everything that he had at the end of chapter 1, the Bible says this about Job, and I love it. It said that he shaved his head, he ripped off his clothes, and he worshiped. And he said, naked came I into this world, and naked shall I leave. The Lord gave, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I think the enemy found out real quick that he was wrong about Job. And of course, he would go back a second time and Job would lose his health. And then we would, we would see the unfolding of Job learning so many things about God that he had not ever learned in the past. And then when you get to the end of the book, the Bible said that after he had prayed for his friends, then God restored back double everything. He gave him double for his trouble. Oh, there's a sermon right there. Amen. How many of you today would like for God to give you double for your trouble? Amen. Double what you lost to the enemy. But that's who the enemy is. He is an accuser of the brethren and he accuses us before God day and night. Now listen, as the accuser, and we talked about this Wednesday night, he accuses God to us. He tries to get us to believe things about God that are not true. That God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. If he loved you and cared about you, he wouldn't be allowing all this stuff in your life. And so he accuses God to us, and then he accuses us to God. That's why we have to have an advocate. That's why we have to have a mediator. That's why we have to have a defense attorney. Guess who your defense attorney is? Jesus, who shed his blood for you. And so every time the, 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 the prosecuting attorney over there who is Satan, the devil, the accuser, the slanderer, he's over there falsely accusing us. And God looks over at Jesus, our, our, our defense attorney, and says, well, how do you plead? And Jesus said, I plead the blood. And, and you and I stand with Christ and we plead the blood. And here's what's so often, it, so often, is when you're covered by the blood of Jesus, when you stand before God, you stand before him perfect because he don't see you and your messed up life. He sees the blood of Jesus and the perfect spotless lamb of God. Ooh, somebody ought to thank God right there because it ain't because of who you are or what you've done. It's because of the blood. It's because of the blood of Jesus. And then it goes on and it says that they defeated this accuser. They, defeat, they, they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And I believe that testimony is a testimony about the power of the blood in our lives. Because how many of you know we wouldn't be saved if it wasn't for the power of the blood? We wouldn't be redeemed if it wasn't for the power of the blood. We wouldn't be healed if it wasn't for the power of the blood. We couldn't be free if it wasn't for the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Every blessing, every benefit that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, we have it because of the blood of Jesus. That's why I've been spending so much time talking to you about the benefits and the blessings of the blood. Because 
when the enemy comes trying to accuse, falsely accuse you, you need to be able to stand and say, well, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. You might be right, Satan, but I plead the blood. I'm covered by the blood. I'm protected by the blood of Jesus. But not only does he accuse God to us and us to God, then he tries to turn us against each other. He falsely accuses us to one another, trying to get us to believe something about somebody or trying to get somebody else to believe something about you that's not true. That's just who he is. He is a slanderer. He is an accuser. And the only way to defeat him, the only way to overcome him is by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. And then it says, and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They were willing to shed their blood for the shed blood. Amen. They were willing to give their life because how many of you know that when Jesus went to the cross and when he was placed in a tomb and when he was raised from the dead, that he, that, that, that he then took authority and power over death, hell, and the grave. And now you and I, listen to me, you and I, we don't have to fear death. Jesus has taken the sting out of death through his blood sacrifice, through his resurrection. He's taken the stinger out of death so that we don't even have to fear death. And listen, the enemy can't do anything. He can't threaten you with death if you're not afraid of death. And by the way, if you've been crucified with Christ, then you don't have to be afraid of the threats of the enemy to kill you because you died the day you met Jesus. You died to yourself and it's hard to kill somebody that's already dead. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm already dead. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. Oh, I like preaching about the blood of Jesus. Amen. I get excited when I preach about the blood of Jesus. But I want you to take a journey with me this morning for the next few minutes. It was a journey that started on a Thursday night before what we call Good Friday. And listen, it was good for us, but it was horrible for Jesus. Because Jesus would go through perhaps the most excruciating execution of any man in history. Not not only that, I believe that Jesus was able to look through the history and, and, and that he chose a moment in history when execution was at its worst. I mean, think about it. If he would have come today, then at worst, he probably would have, would have died by lethal injection or, or, or electric chair. But, but, but he looked at perhaps the, the time in history when, when execution was at its worst. And, and that would have been the worst time in history to be executed, to be crucified by the Romans. And that Jesus chose that moment in history. And it began on that Thursday evening before what we know as Good Friday. He would go into an upper room and he would have a last meal with his disciples, a Passover meal. And he would share with them the cup and he would share with them the bread. And then after the meal, the Bible said that he stood up and he put on an apron. And he began to kneel and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. And somewhere, while all of that was going on, Judas kind of sneaks out and begins his process of betraying Jesus. Because he knows that when Jesus leaves that upper room, that he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he goes to the authorities, and he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver because he tells the authorities where they can find Jesus. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, and he's asking the Father to give him the strength to endure what he knows is ahead. 
And, and let me just say this morning that if you know you're about to go through something, you need to go to your garden of Gethsemane. And you need to get on your knees and you need to ask God the Father for strength to endure what it is that you are about to go through. But not long after Jesus began praying, the chief priest and the guards show up and they arrest Jesus. And from 9 p.m. that Thursday until 6 o'clock the next morning, Jesus is put through a series of six trials. Never mind that it's illegal what they're doing. Because you're not supposed to, according to Roman law and Jewish law, you're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to execute or crucify anybody or even begin the process in the evening. But they take Jesus and 600 years before this actually becomes a reality, Isaiah saw what was going to take place. And Isaiah prophesied about it, and Isaiah spoke about it in Isaiah 53 and 5. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, here's what he says. He said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now I want you to back up just a little bit in the process because back in Matthew chapter 26, after they arrested Jesus, the Bible says that the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin, that would have been 71 men, that the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Isn't that awesome? And the reason why is because you can't find any false evidence against a perfect man. And he had lived a perfect, sinless life. They surely couldn't find anything true. So they were trying to, to, to find something false about him. They were either even paying people to perjure themselves and to lie. And still they couldn't get the kind of evidence that would hold, hold up in a court of law. So it says that they were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any Though many false witnesses came forward, but then they did find one thing that they could hold against him. One thing that Jesus did admit to. It says that the high priest answered and said to Jesus, if I put you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. The Christ. That word Christ means the one who has the anointed power to break the yoke of bondage in people's lives. Mm. If you've got a yoke of bondage on your life today, you need to know that Christ is the anointed one who has the power to break that yoke of bondage over your life. And they asked him, they said, are you the one who has the anointed power to break the yoke of bondage over people's lives? Are you the son of God? And Jesus responded and said, yep. It is as you say. Now, the moment that Jesus claimed to be God, you can't put him any longer into a category of just being a good teacher or a good man or a prophet because there's some people that would say, well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't really follow his ways, but I think he's a good man. No, when Jesus claimed to be God, you have to put him in either one of three categories. He's either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. 
Either, either he's lost his mind by claiming to be God, either he's lied about it, or he's telling the truth that he is the Son of God. And in that case, you should bow down and worship him. But Jesus looks at him and he says, yes, you are correct. I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. And then it says, they spit in his face and they struck him with their fists and others slapped him. And as I said, Isaiah saw that 600 years before it happened and said that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. In that passage of scripture is the message of the cross. In that passage of scripture is the message of the power in the blood of Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take these four wounds of the cross and I'm going to take them in chronological order and what we're going to see is in each and every area how the power of the blood of Jesus or, or the blood of Jesus has the power to to bring freedom in every area of our lives so when they take Jesus the first thing that they would have done is they would have started this execution with a scourging a whip we need to understand something about this whip because I think we, we have an idea today of what a whip looks like, but this whip was nothing like the whip that we would think about today. It was a, it was a, a long wooden handle that had, that had nine leather straps or, or, or nine straps of, of leather attached to it. A, a cat of nine tails is, is, is the image maybe that you would have in your mind. And, and on those leather Straps. There would, there would have been horse hair tied to that. And then to the horse hair, there would have been sharp objects like glass and metal and bone and wire. And they would take, they would take that whip and they would, they would soak it in water and they would get it heavy and they would get it flexible. And then they would have to take it with two hands and, and they would take it back and they would, with all of that bone and metal and glass and wire attached, they would, they would take that whip and they would, they would embed it into the flesh of the one that was being whipped. And then after embedding it, they would just pull down on it and literally rip the flesh from the back of the person who was being scourged. And they would do it 13 times over his right shoulder, 13 times over his left shoulder, and 13 times down the middle of his back. And I'll tell you why they did that here in just a moment. But what I want you to know is that every stripe that he took represented a sickness, represented a disease, represented an infirmity that would try to overtake your body and mine. Because you see, by the stripes of Jesus, here's what Isaiah says. He says that the whip represents freedom in our bodies because by his stripes we are healed. Pastor, are you telling me today that Jesus still heals? That's exactly what I'm telling you this morning is that Jesus still heals. Jesus did not take those stripes on his back in vain. Jesus had a purpose for taking those stripes on his back. He bore that pain in his body so that you and I wouldn't have to bear the pain in our body. And listen, 
listen to me this morning as your pastor. Anytime you come to me wanting me to pray for you to be healed in your body, when I pray for you, I fully expect the healing power of God to be manifest in your life. Does that mean that everybody I pray for gets healed? No. And if you were to ask me why then doesn't everybody get healed, my only answer I could give you is I don't have the foggiest idea. I don't understand. But you know what? It's not going to stop me from praying for somebody that's sick and believing with expectation that when we pray in faith, believing that what was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus can be manifest in their body in that moment that we're praying in faith. I still believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the great physician and the great physician has not shut down shops. Somebody thank God this morning that Jesus still heals. The psalmist said it like this in Psalm 103. He said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. The one who forgives you of all of your sins and the one who does what? Heals you of all of your diseases. Listen, if you believe he's got the power through the blood to, to, to forgive you of all of your sins, then you also need to believe today that the same Jesus who paid the price for your sins also paid the price for your sicknesses. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 24. He said, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been. Everybody say, have been. Say it again, have been. Not will be, you have been healed. And so that's why every time I pray for somebody, oh, I believe right here in this room right now, that if you will just extend your faith and ask God to touch your body this morning, ask God to heal your body, you don't have to leave here the way that you came, but you can leave this place. If you walked in sick, you can leave this place healed. You can leave this place well today. You can leave this place testifying to others about the power of the blood of Jesus in your body. Amen. I believe that today. I believe that today. Northern Ohio, we were at Sandy Valley Church of God. And I know that I've shared a couple of these incidents with you before, but there might be somebody here today who needs a lift to their faith. But at Sandy Valley Church of God in Northern Ohio, a lady came forward after I had preached. She had been diagnosed with diabetes as a child. Now she was probably in her 50s or 60s. And all these years, she had to take numerous shots every day just to regulate her insulin. And she came forward that night. And I'm telling you, I felt the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I looked at her. Now, this is what she said, I said. She came back to me a few years later, or, or not, not a few years later, but she came to me, came back to me several months later. And she said, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you brought me up and you looked at me and you said, when you go home tonight, I want you to take all of your insulin, your medication, and I want you to throw it in the garbage. And I told her, I said, I did not say that. I'd never say something like that. She said, oh, yes, you did. I said, well, I'm not responsible for what I say under the anointing. I've said some things before. 
that I don't remember saying that I probably wouldn't have said in my flesh. But she said, you told me to go home and throw my insulin away. And she said, I went home and threw my insulin away. And she said, I just kind of watched. But for the next few days, I had no problems with my blood sugars. My blood sugars were regulated. My blood sugars were perfect. She said, I went back to my doctor. They did some tests. He said, I don't know what's going on. But your pancreas is producing insulin at a normal rate. And you don't need insulin anymore. You don't need shots anymore. And she was telling me that testimony. Listen to me. I'm telling you. I know of a God who still heals. Shelby, Church of God. Shelby, Church of God in Shelby, Ohio. There was a couple in the service that night that had just a few months before had had, had been pregnant with their first child and had suffered a miscarriage and was told that because of the damage that had gone on that they would probably never be able to have children again. And the Holy Spirit laid them on my heart. And I saw them sitting back there and I said, come up here for just a moment. I need to pray for you. And I looked at her and I said, I want you to know there's life in your womb right now. That that, that there was a seed planted and God is giving life to that seed and you need to go ahead and get ready. You need to go home. You need to get the nursery ready. You need to get everything prepared because God's about to give you a, a, a daughter. Well, we moved away. And I didn't see him again for three or four years when I was invited to come back and speak at a state meeting. And while I was there, she walked up to me and she had the prettiest little three, four-year-old girl at her side. And she said, I know you remember that night at Shelby Church of God when you called us out and you spoke that word over us. And she said it was not even nine months later that this little beauty right here came along. And she said, I want you to meet Vic. She said, I named her after you because I wanted her to remember that God used you as a vessel to increase our faith, to believe that what the doctor said was not possible could be possible. Church, I'm telling you this morning, I believe there's power in the blood of Jesus to heal. Oh, if you need healing, I want you to stretch your hand in this direction right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, those in this room right now that need healing in their body, I believe there's power in your blood that has already healed us. And I pray right now, God, for a manifestation of your healing power in this room right now, God, whether it's just a cold, whether it's just a headache, whether it's something like cancer, leukemia, whether it's a a, a womb that's not been able to give life. In the name of Jesus, I speak. Speak healing come into your body right now. By the power of the blood of Jesus, you are healed in Jesus' name. Receive that healing touch today. Oh, Father God, manifest. Manifest your healing power in your people's bodies today. Oh, hallelujah. Now, come on, praise him. Thank him. Thank him for your healing today. Thank him for your healing. I want to hear some testimonies in these next few weeks. I want to hear some testimonies. Even, even, even if it didn't happen in this service, if at some point in your life God has given you a miracle through healing, we need to hear those testimonies. Those testimonies increase people's faith. Those testimonies, you need to know that God is no respecter of persons. Listen, I'm ready to have church this morning. I'm ready to see God move in a special way in our lives to bring freedom to every area of our lives. And people need to hear that there are still miracles happening. 
I like what Pastor Jensen Franklin says. He says, I don't just believe in miracles. I rely on miracles. Do we rely on miracles? Listen, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the miracle working power of God. Come on, why don't we thank him today? Hallelujah. So it began with a whip. Then they would take him to what was called the Praetorium. The Praetorium was where the company of guards would hang out. It was kind of like the locker room. And this was totally against protocol. You were not to take a victim like that out of the public in, into, into a private sector like that. But they take him into a Praetorium where those soldiers begin to mock him. They put an old wood stick in his hand as a scepter. They throw an old cloth around his back as a robe. And they put a blindfold on him. And then they begin to spit in his face. And they begin to strike him with their fist. And then they said, well, tell us, if you are who you say you are, if you are the Son of God, tell us who it was that struck you. And listen to me, he could have told them. Not only could he have told them who it was, he could have made a grease spot out of them right there and then. But the Bible said that like a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. And over to the side was somebody that had a thorn branch, and they began to weave that thorn branch into a crown of thorns. And they would take that crown of thorns, and you know the story, they would, they would push that crown of thorns into his head. And it would, they, would, they would press it in so deep that not only would blood flow externally, but the blood would also flow internally, creating an enormous amount of pressure in his mind. What does that represent? Isaiah would tell us that the thorns represent freedom in my mind. Because it says that the punishment for my peace was upon him. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. Your mind is troubled. There's anxiety. There's depression. There's worry. There's fear. And then let's face it, all of us, when we come to Christ, we have a mind that is jacked up. Let's just face it. It really is. We think things about God that aren't true, things about ourselves that aren't true, things about others that aren't true. And, and, and we have to go through a whole process of this mind being transformed. But Christ, through his shed blood, has paid the price so that you could experience and I could experience freedom in our minds. Listen to what Jesus said here in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace, I leave with you. I want you to know that God didn't just save you just so you could go to heaven. That everything you need to live your life and to live a life of godliness, God has given it to you right now. That everything we read about in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, that was paid for at the cross. That is available to you right now. You need to understand that eternal life doesn't just kick in the moment you die. 
Eternal life begins the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And from that point on, your quality and your quantity of life goes through the roof. Jesus said, I came so that you could have life and have it more abundant. And you and I, we need to start tapping into the benefits and the blessings that are available to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And peace is one of those things because when Jesus left... He said, I'm going to make sure I leave you something. I'm going to leave you my peace, my peace. He said, I'm going to give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 26 and 3. He said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There is power in the blood of Jesus, amen, to set us free in our minds. But then they take Jesus from the praetorium. And as every victim had to do, they had to carry their own cross. And so they put that cross on the shoulder of Christ, and he begins to carry it at least 750 yards, probably even further than that, down a journey called the Via Dolorosa, till finally he gets to Golgotha's hill. And when he finally gets to Golgotha's hill, they lay him down on the cross, and through his hands and through his feet, they nail spikes. Probably his hands, they probably put the spike through his wrist here. Because for Romans, the hand was from the elbow to the tip of the fingers. That's why they shake hands like this, not like this. Because the hand begins at the elbow and goes to the tip of the fingers. So when it says that they pierced his hand, more than likely they, they, they put it here because if you were to put the nail here in his hand and, and not tie his hand to the cross, then the weight of the body would cause the hand to pull away from the cross. So in this wrist, in this wrist, put one foot over the other and through the arcs of his feet, they put another nail. And then they raised the cross And we can only imagine that when it fell into the hole of the ground, the excruciating pain he must have felt when it finally settled into its place. And then when you were on the cross, they made sure you had to hang in a specific position. Your your, your legs, your knees had to have a a bend in it. Because going back to, to, to being scourged, The reason they would do 13 stripes across this shoulder and 13 stripes across that shoulder is because they're severing the shoulder muscles so that when they hang you, there's nothing here to support you. And really their goal was for you to die by suffocation because in that position, you can't breathe. And so you'd have to push up, take a breath, and then back. back down through his hands and through his feet. What does that represent? Our hands represent everything we've ever done that we should have never done. Our feet represent every place that we've ever gone 
that we should have never gone represents our transgressions. And Isaiah says that he was pierced for our transgressions. So that when we think about the nails, the nails represent freedom in my hands and in my feet. That through the blood of Jesus, there, there is power to set you free from everything that you've ever done that you should not have done. And power to set you free from everywhere you've ever gone that you should have never gone. And here's the good news. Not only does he forgive us our sins, he forgets our sins. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, I'm going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, that's so hard for us to comprehend. It's kind of like the little boy whose daddy told him, son, you, you play ball in the backyard. If you go in the front yard and you hit the ball and it goes through somebody's window, it ain't going to be pretty, son. And, and, and the boy disobeys his son and he leaves the backyard, goes to the front yard and hits the ball. It goes right through the window and then he has to come back to his dad and say, dad, I'm sorry, but I, I, I went in the front yard, hit the ball. It went through somebody's window. And of course, the dad gets angry and says, now, son. I've got to go over there and I've got to pay for the window. But how many of you know, most of the time, dad ain't going to let it stop there. He's going to come back home and say, boy, I told you to stay in the backyard. If you would have stayed in the backyard, none of this would have ever happened. And he would have given the boy trouble. He would have maybe forgiven, but he would not have let that little boy forgot what had happened. And the problem is a lot of people look at their heavenly father like that. Yes, I can believe that he forgave me. But I just can't believe that he has forgotten my sin. But listen, the Bible says not only has he forgiven your wickedness, he's not going to remember them anymore. He's not going to hold them against you anymore. He's not going to keep bringing it up over and over and over again, never letting you know he has forgiven and he has forgotten. But here's the deal. The heavenly father could forgive you. Your earthly father could forgive you. But the question is, have you forgiven? yourself because there's a lot of people that's still carrying around the stain of shame and the stain of guilt in their life over things that they've done that they never should have done and places that they've gone that they never should have gone and there's that st still that stain of shame and guilt but notice what he says in verse 14 of Hebrews 9 he said just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Not only is there power in the blood to forgive you of your sins, but there's power in the blood to purify your conscience of all that shame and all of that guilt that comes along with your transgressions. Aren't you thankful today that there's power in the blood of Jesus to save, power in the blood of Jesus to cleanse our consciences so that, because see, you can't really worship God as long as all that guilt and all that shame is there, but when you've been purified from it, now you can really worship God. Now you can really serve God because of the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. But they're not done yet. And team, you can go ahead and come. Because what would happen is after they had put them on the cross, several hours later, they would come back to see who was still dead or who was still alive or who had died. And so these Roman soldiers, they would come and, and, and if somebody was still alive, 
they, they would have like a crowbar. And they would get in behind because as long as, as long as they were able to push up and get that breath, they could prolong their life. And so what that guard would do is if they were still alive, he would take that bar and he would put it up against the beam of the cross to get some leverage and snap their legs, break their legs so that they could no longer push up and they would die of suffocation. But when they got to Jesus, they were surprised that Jesus had already died. But just to make sure, a Roman guard took his spear and he plunged it into the chest cavity of Jesus. And the Bible said that blood and water flowed out of his chest cavity. Now what most physicians will tell you is that if, if when they pierced his heart, water came out with blood, that just simply meant that the heart had already burst. And that Christ had already died. That it wasn't the pierce that killed him. It wasn't suffocation that killed him. It wasn't blood loss that killed him. I'll tell you what killed him. He died of a broken heart. He died of a broken heart. I know what it's like to have my heart broken. Do you know what it's like to have your heart broken? I know what it's like to have my heart broken. And when I think about that spear, that spear represents freedom in my heart. Because you remember what Isaiah said. Isaiah said that he was crushed for our iniquities. When I think about iniquities, I think about those things that have happened to us in our lives that we've just not let go of. The old saying is true that hurt people hurt people. And we, we carry around so many things in our heart because of things that have been done to us, because of things that have been said to us, our hearts have been crushed, our hearts have been broken. But listen to what the psalmist said, Psalm 147. He said that he heals the brokenhearted. <laughs> and he binds up their wounds. Proverbs chapter 17 says this. It says that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a crushed spirit dries the bones. I'm telling you, if you don't allow him to bring freedom in your heart, if you don't allow him to allow for forgiveness, to release some things, listen to me, it'll kill you. Because he said, a crushed spirit dries the bones. It'll kill you. And there's no, no sense in staying stuck in that hurt because, because Christ, through his shed blood has paid the price for you to be set free in your heart today. Father, we thank you for your healing power for freedom in our bodies. 
We thank you today, God, for freedom in our minds. The chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon you so that we could have freedom in our minds. I thank you, Father God, that because you were pierced, that I can be forgiven of my transgressions. And I thank you today, God, that because of the spear, you were crushed for my iniquities. Your heart was broken because you knew one day my heart would be broken and you would experience that. You would go through what I would go through. You would go through what I would experience so that when I do, you, you would know how I feel and you would know how to heal and you would know what I need. So Father, I pray today through the power of the blood of Jesus, freedom freedom in every area of our lives, in our body, in our mind, our hands, our feet, our heart, Lord. It's available because of the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles, and we're seeing it on a weekly basis people's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.